when you two, they still can't find what they're looking for. Problem is, it's their car keys. We're at 8.39 here, 21 before 9. Monday morning is when we look at your finances, tell you what screwed up your life over the weekend or maybe made it a little bit better. And Monday is always a pretty slow news day, but we normally find something interesting to start you out with the week. On the phone is Philip Statler from Statler Financial Services. And, Philip, you and I were kind of going, what on earth are we going to talk about today? Because the government's doing nothing. We're in between earnings seasons, and there's not a whole heck of a lot going on is there no it's really getting towards the very end of earnings season so you know the next two weeks or so are going to be really slim pickings when it comes to uh to earnings coming i mean there'll be a few here and there but but nothing really substantial so uh in between (laughs) uh, you and i just have to find something to talk about and we always seem to one way or the other. On Friday, just to bring everybody up to date, maybe having nothing to talk about is a good thing. On Friday, the Dow closed up 377 points. Nay, S&P was up by 61. NASDAQ was up a full 2.11%, up 250 points. And I'm really not sure I understand why that happened. Did you hear any conventional wisdom as to what got everybody so excited about NASDAQ on Friday? I do not. The only thing that I've kind of come across the wire that I saw was the dollar slipping. And I don't know if the dollar started slipping Friday and that gave some help to uh, companies like the NASDAQ because, you know, those tech companies, I mean, all companies do business worldwide, but, but NASDAQ companies even more so uh, because of the technology. So I don't know if the slipping of the the value of the dollar helped them out. Um, And that, that does help our international trade for U.S.-based companies. That might very well help in the process. But uh, that there was just kind of warped because generally our conventional wisdom has always had that, oh, my gosh, the uh, adventurous, interest-sensitive NASDAQ exchange was going to be the one that gets whacked the worst. And I really don't have any indication that inflation's gotten any better. Do you? Oh, no, absolutely not. I haven't seen anything give us any indication that inflation's gotten better. Um, you know, when you go to the store, it sure seems like it's getting worse. Uh, does to me too. Uh, tidbits on the morning to start the week off. I had a little story about Apple because one of the analysts was saying that they didn't hike their iPhone prices with that new release last week, but they introduced just enough new tech where analysts are saying that uh, it should boost Apple's bottom line nicely. But then you dug up something interesting. If you've got an Apple card, uh, there's an increased chance you're a deadbeat, I gather. Huh? Well, you know, I don't know if you go quite that far, Dave, but uh, well, there, there, <laughs> I, I so, was honestly surprised at the bit. The story I was telling you off the air before we went on before we went on the air was uh, when I got my Apple card because well it was it, it was zero percent interest for twelve months when I got my iPhone twelve a couple of years ago. Uh, my reaction was okay, fine, I'll take zero percent any day of the week. So I took the card, and uh, I was kind of surprised because Goldman Sachs gave me a lower credit limit for my Apple card than virtually any other credit card that I've gotten. So I figured this thing is probably a pretty good card and really good and tight because they trust me less than American Express does. But evidently <laughs> their write-offs are a little above the above what expected, huh? Yeah, it does seem that way, Dave. Goldman Sachs, uh, the headline that caught my attention this morning is that Goldman's Apple Card business has a surprising subprime problem. Uh, and looking at it, so they say that their loss ratio on uh, is the worst among big U.S. card issuers and that 
they they really on the Apple card it's like two point nine three percent, which doesn't sound like a big number, but man, if you have trillions of dollars in, in debt that people owe you, that could be a a, a big number going forward. So um, they've got twenty five percent of their cardholders have a credit score less than six sixty. Um, yeah, which is which is a pretty big deal. So so you know when the economy slows down. And we head further and further down this recessionary road and people start losing their jobs. You know, credit cards are usually the last people to get paid because people got to pay their rent, their food and their fuel bill and, and their utilities. So the credit card companies are usually the last people to get paid. And so they got there's a higher risk of default there. That's kind of interesting, too. I'm not sure of this, but wasn't the Apple card kind of like Goldman Sachs' first serious foray into consumer finance? I mean, you know, Citibank has been, you know, a consumer-driven bank with credit cards up the yazoo for years. I'd never stereotyped Goldman Sachs as being a company that did the credit card thing. So I was kind of surprised this is not a good first toe in the water for Goldman to get into consumer credit, is it? No, no, especially if it ends up with the substantial losses that they, they're looking at there. So, um, you know, it, it may weigh a little on their bottom line throughout this recessionary period. Yeah, it could. That, that, that's kind of intriguing. Talking about the recessionary period, one of my tip sheets was uh, talking about we'd been making the tours of the various investor seminars and, uh, and financial summits from the big banks. And uh, his feeling was, and this is kind of interesting, it kind of reflects on what you and I have been feeling out of all the national reports coming out, too, on the uh, government data dump. Uh, the guy says, not one executive I talk to sees trends in their business that indicates that we'll be in a recession from their perspective by the first quarter of 23, but absolutely none of them are talking about an economy poised to crank back upward either. I mean, we're at, according to at least his sample on CEOs of the, around the country, uh, we're going to be in the doldrums for some time to come, but they don't see us tanking, which, given what we've been talking about with interest rates and the Fed and whatnot, uh, I'm actually considering that kind of backhanded good news, aren't you? Yeah, I definitely would. Um, you know, they don't see us tanking, but yet they see us staying this way for a long period of time. You, you know, it's it's OK. Uh, not tanking is a good thing. Staying this way for a long period of time, that, that may not be so good because towards the tail end, you, you know, it's going to start weighing on these companies and they're going to have to start laying people off. They, they can't just keep shouldering that uh, that expense. Which might actually be what the Federal Reserve is hoping for to begin with. Remember, they keep talking about how they want to cool down the labor market, which, you know, sounds brutal. It needs to cool down. We're hoping for that quote-unquote soft landing on the labor market and just cool us down to quote-unquote normal. But bottom line is our central bank wants to throw some more people out of work. No, that, that's right. They, they want that labor market because that's been the leading thing to lead us through into this inflationary period of time is that the lack of workers and the lack of, of employees that are needed is causing companies have to pay more for that employee to get them to come to work. And so that's that was kind of the really and truly the start of the inflationary period. 
Absolutely. I mean, this all sounds terribly hard-hearted because everybody wants to make more money year over year, and that's a good thing. But when it becomes a, uh, you know, a wage demand push kind of inflation, something's got to give one way or the other. You either control the prices by legislative action, which is never a first choice in the economic front, or you end up loosening up the labor market enough to the point where wage increases slow down a bit. One way or the other, it's got to happen. That's right. It absolutely does. And, you know, with the, the big exodus during COVID of uh, workers deciding to retire early, it just put a lot of pressure on companies to uh, to be able to find uh, good help. Absolutely. Other items that came out of this tip sheet article that I saw is a chat with CEOs and CFOs around the country. Again, pretty much paints the picture that you and I have been guessing at. Uh, they don't see inflationary pressures easing much at all. And they also see, and here's the other thing, they see price increases going in to continue to be pushed through to consumers, which is kind of a leading indicator that inflation ain't going to ease very fast either. No, that's right. I mean, I'm looking at this, uh, another report right now that says that Walmart, Amazon, and Target are spending billions and billions of dollars in a slowing economy. But where are they spending it? They're spending it on technology. So what does technology do? Well, it allows them a lot of times to increase productivity and decrease the need for more employees. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a labor-saving element. Anybody that's shopped at Walmart trying to find an open human man checkout is getting harder by the minute. We're automating stuff. And uh, the biggest, uh, the, probably the biggest traffic jam in the aisles these days at our local Wally World are the uh, people that are, you know, working for Walmart doing all the pickup orders which means fewer checkout people needed as well. I mean, we're, we're getting to the point where you place an order with a store, whether it's Publix, Walmart, or Target, or all the rest, and you drive up and pick it up. That's less people in the store necessary. Well, yeah, and let's face it. You know, one of the things that, that, that people don't realize, and, and maybe they do realize, but that means that there's even less, right, discretionary spending. Because when you walk down the aisle, and, and pick up your own groceries, well, you'll see something catch your eye. That, well, I want that. And you'll pick it up. It wasn't on your list. And what well, you had no intention of buying it. And, and so the, the grocery stores, the Walmarts, the Targets, they're missing out now on that. Um, and so that's going to kind of affect their top and bottom line. Which means they maintain their margins on the stuff that we actually know we want better, which is called inflation. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we merry sunshine this morning? We, we've got a really doldrum day in terms of government data. If nobody figured it out from our general patter. We do have a few things coming up later on this week that might move the market. What, what, we, what are we going to do? So, so the big things, I think, probably tomorrow, um, because tomorrow uh, we get the small business index, which, yeah, that, that may, uh, that won't really affect the market scene, but we have consumer price index. So we got that. So we got the core CPI, the CPI, um, all that stuff comes out tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday, we have the final reading on the pr uh, producer price index demand. And then uh, Thursday, obviously, is jobs day, which uh, we also get uh, some retail sales on Thursday. So that will be a big Thursday may be bigger than I thought. Uh, retail sales, 
uh, we've get a couple of the manufacturing numbers from the Philly Fed and the Empire State import prices. So, uh, man, Thursday's going to be a big <laughs> day, Dave. Could very well be. The CPI could be really a market mover. I think the expectation with the decreased energy prices is that the overall CPI will probably be a pleasant surprise that we'll hear a lot of politicians talking about. The core is going to be the thing we're watching because once you take food, once you take food and energy out, uh, the core is going to really be what we're going to be watching come tomorrow. That, that, that's right, because those are going to be the, the numbers that really give us an idea of, of what's happening from an inflation standpoint. I, I saw a headline. I didn't get a chance to read the whole article, but there seems to be some um, consideration that maybe um, that we may see that start to go in the, the right direction for the Fed over the next two or three months. The core? All of it going oh. in the right direction for, for the Fed. To, to maybe start to like what they see and thinking about 2023, uh, maybe uh, less interest rate hikes. Oh, my God. If they put the gun back in the holster, that would make the equity markets happy. I know that. Because I was going to say, my expectation is with 30, 40 cent a gallon decrease in the price of gas over the last month or so, the overall CPI, if it, if it goes up, I'll be really shocked. Uh, the core, on the other hand, I really don't see any indication of it going down a bit once you get rid of the volatile items like food and energy. I mean, they're generally, you know, pretty much continues to go up, and the things I'm reading on my tip sheets pretty much backs that up. Yeah, and then we continue uh, to deal with, you know, the whole inversion in the day and the um, two and the thirty. So um, that continues to be a problem. And it looks like it's getting worse this morning looking at it. I'm looking at it. Do do my math. It looks like about 12 basis points between the two. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah, not good. Resetting the table, we were up on Friday pretty healthily up, as a matter of fact, on the blue chips and the NASDAQ exchange. 45 minutes before the market opens up this morning, Philip, what's going on? So we got some green ink this morning, Dave. Uh, not, not huge, but it's still green ink. The Dow is up a quarter of a percent. S&P 500 is up almost a half a percent. The NASDAQ 100 up four-tenths of a percent. So things looking okay on that front. Commodity side, we've got silver making some huge jumps today, Dave, up 4.1%. Wow. Um, yeah, big jump up to $19.54 an ounce. Gold Eventually, is, I'll be able to get rid of Grandma's silver service. There you go. Gold, not quite that participatory. It's up about seven-tenths of a percent, still well below $1,800 an ounce at $1,740. And then crude oil, making a big jump this morning as well, up 1.65% to $88.23 a barrel right now. Whoa, and the part I don't like is that's a substantial increase over my delayed quotes, so it's a pretty fast trend, too. Yeah. Overseas market, yeah, overseas markets, everybody's positive. The Asian market's all up, some of them up by 2.5% in Hong Kong, for instance, at the close this morning. Europe is up well over a percent in all their exchanges, too, halfway through the day. It's amazing what happens when we have a good day on this side of the pond. Somebody want to figure out how they can make sure their retirement takes advantage of the increases but is insulated from all the volatility. That takes an expert pair of eyes. How do I get a hold of you to use your eyes, Philip? David, give us a call at 863-382-0037, where we've developed the core retirement design to help people design the retirement they always dreamed of. Uh, call us for a consultation. And then join us this weekend for the Statler Financial Radio Show, 6 a.m. and noon on Saturday, 10 a.m. Sunday morning, 
on Highlands News Talk 730 and 95.3 FM. And back here together again tomorrow morning about the same time on life. Philip, thank you so much. We'll see you then. All right, buddy. Have a great day. Thank you, my friend. It's 105.7 Light FM and Statler Financial Services. Philip Statler. Hey, thanks again. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you had a great weekend. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow, same time, same place. Until then, have a great one.